Blog Talk Radio. Hi, and thanks for listening to the Burke Allen Show on the Blog Talk Radio Network. We're live in Washington, D.C. And the number to call if you'd like to be a part of the show today is 646-668-2634. That's 646-668-2634. The subject today is church arsons. And just in this past month alone, about a half dozen predominantly black churches burned or were damaged by suspicious fires in the U.S., and this isn't, of course, the first time this has happened either. Uh, same thing happened uh, just last autumn. It's happened in other places too, uh, often in the South, South Carolina, Texas, Alabama, also California. And there's little doubt it will happen again. Sometimes it makes news. Sometimes it doesn't. Right now, there's sort of a backdrop of racial tension across America with these uh, police shootings, the reactionary murders of police officers. And uh, and people on both sides of the aisle just begging to end this senseless violence. And against the backdrop of all that comes the brand new novel, He Comes in Fire. The author is Aaron R. Even. Aaron has spent uh, hundreds of hours researching the phenomenon of these church arsons uh, to write this novel. And Aaron joins us today on the Burke Allen Show. Hi, Aaron. Thanks for being with us. Hi, Burke. How are you? I'm great. I, I have to ask you, where did the inspiration come from for you to write this book? What made you say, this is the book I want to write next? Well, you know, um, as you were saying uh, um, just now, the whole phenomenon of church arsons has been with us for some time. And going back to the 1990s, um, it really caught my attention when there was a really – a wave of church arsons that got national attention during the 1990s. Um, you know, since then, over the last 20 years, there have been about 4,700 church arsons in the U.S., of which just shy of 2,400 of them are due to arson. So we're talking about a lot of church, um, church burnings, a lot of arsons. And I just became interested in, you know, what was going on with this, Reason I, I was asking myself the same questions that I think a lot of people ask: who who is behind this phenomenon, and why are they doing it? Um, but as it turns out, those questions are really not easy to answer. And so the complexity of the phenomenon sort of it appealed to me in a way um, from a storytelling point of view, and I ended up developing that um, into the novel. He comes in fire. Our guest, if you're just joining us, is Aaron R. Even, and Aaron wrote the book, He Comes in Fire. It releases this fall uh, from Atticus uh, Books. And uh, Aaron, you, you previously wrote a book several years ago called Blood Rot that, that received quite a bit of attention. It was an award winner um, back in the, in the late 90s. Then you took a, a long break from creative writing and got involved in, in television work, um, documentary television primarily did – 
Did any yeah. of that background doing sort of this, this uh, quasi-journalistic TV, did that play into the way you research uh, books now versus when you wrote Blood Rot? Uh, Blood Root, actually, um, but that, uh, yeah, absolutely, you know, and, and Blood Root actually was a, it was a historical novel, so I did do some research, but it was just like your standard library research. I was a young guy, and I didn't really, you know, have research tools beyond what, you know, regular kind of library research, um, but working in documentary TV really opened up a whole new world to me for, you know, for for, for how you really do research in the real world when you're doing a nonfiction story, a show for National Geographic or Discovery or somebody like that, you know, you go really go out there. You, you, you aggressively contact experts in the field. You interview them both, um, both on and off camera um, for back on background and, you know, for official commentary and stuff. And you really, you find things out really by digging deeper and talking to people um, you find things out that you just wouldn't have if you just relied on, on book research. So, you know, my experience in television really helped me to not only to, you know, to learn those kind of, you know, better research um, techniques, but then also to have the access to, um, to people. Um, you, know, the, the, you know, the fact that I was doing some work for a TV production company um, allowed me to contact um, ATF, the Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, and, um, you know, have a lot of communication with them. Um, I was able to uh, do some, uh, to go to their, visit their laboratory in Beltsville, Maryland, and, and watch them do a controlled burn where the, um, the fire research experts create a lot of conditions in a laboratory and then, you know, very carefully watch what the fire does and, and learn from it. So the whole science of of fire research, um, you know, is, is being investigated constantly over there. So, you know, just being able to go to places like that and meet people, um, you know, real investigators and talk to them, it certainly helped me, I think, to bring an element of realism to the novel that I just wouldn't have been able to capture if I'd relied solely on fire textbooks. Is that part of it, that research? Uh, is that a fun, interesting part of it for you? as an author or is that part of the long hard slog that goes into into writing the book i actually find it really interesting um i i really enjoy the research part of it uh, for me it's part of it, it i don't come up with ideas quickly and execute them as a writer i kind of i'm kind of the more the slow cooker kind of guy you know i i'm more the rack of ribs in the in the smoker on 250 and it takes a long time for everything to gel, <laughs> you know, the, the research, the, the characters, the, the different themes that you're working with, um, even just down to certain images that are kind of in your mind, all that kind of has to come together for me through a slow kind of cooking process. And that, uh, so I really enjoy that process. And it would be really frustrating if I had a six-month deadline, but fortunately I don't. So, um, so I, I do just sort of, you know, enjoy the whole process because, you know, one of the things I really enjoyed about documentary television was when we did our research in the field, that's when we found out the best material. I mean, oftentimes I would have researched um, uh, a subject like I remember once we did a show on Alcatraz and the Alcatraz prison escape, and, you know, I did all the research I could, but it wasn't it was when we went out in the field 
and started talking to, um, to you know, real cops and real, real people who, uh, you know, worked on the prison back in the day, that we learned things that, you know, you just don't learn in books. So I, I really enjoy that process. If you're just joining us, Aaron R., even as our guest, his uh, new book comes out in October. It's called He Comes in Fire, and it's being released by Atticus Books. It's uh, Aaron's first book for that publisher, and uh, he writes about these church arsons that were, as you mentioned earlier in the conversation, a huge national story in the late 90s. But the thing continues on, uh, and as I mentioned just uh, in the last month, there were a half dozen of these predominantly black churches in St. Louis that were torched. And in the process of researching this book, it's my understanding that you found out that it's not just one thing or one group of people that are doing this. Uh, it's a whole lot of different folks for a whole lot of different reasons. And I wonder if, if in your research that surprised you or if you thought you'd be able to, to maybe tie this up with a neat little bow. Uh, so, so was this a surprise that maybe this isn't quite the, uh, you know, the, the one trick pony you thought it was, that it's more of a widespread epidemic? Yeah, absolutely. It was a surprise. And, you know, because I came to this, I think, as so many people do as a, as a student of uh, someone who grew up in the, in, in the South and a student of Southern history and of Southern literature, I came to this with a, kind of a presumption that, you know, well, there was going to be a very dominant, um, you know, kind of racial angle to this. And, and there, there is, there, you know, I mean, there certainly are a lot of church burnings that happen um, because of um, racism. Um, but, it turned out that that just doesn't explain the phenomenon. There's a whole lot going on. And I think one of the things that's frustrating for a lot of people who look into this um, is that we are expecting to find a bad guy or a group of bad guys, somebody, you know, we are expecting to be able to, to understand the motive, what's driving them, so that, you know, we can stop it. And one of the things that's so frustrating is that you get you dig a little deeper into it and you realize that, there are hundreds of bad guys doing it for hundreds of different reasons with a, 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 enough motives that it just makes your head spin. And so starting to, you know, take all of that and complexity and try to put it together into something that's understandable, it, it's a really difficult, um, it's a really difficult process. And, and I think I read this correctly, but I, I just want to get clarity from you on it. Um, that in the process of researching this whole thing out, you actually ran across uh, some content from the Southern Poverty Law Center that said that one of the suspects in these St. Louis fires is a, a radical African-American separatist group uh, whose members believe they are the, uh, the quote-unquote true Jews. So it was yes. actually, at least according to Southern Poverty Law, a group of African-Americans burning down their own stuff. Well, yeah, that's a, and that's a really strange case, but it, it's a, it illustrates, you know, pretty well the the oddness of of, of some of of these uh, church arsons. Um, you know, of course, we tend to think of them sort of the more traditional kind of historical church arson as being, you know, the kind of things that happened during the civil rights era, era where black churches were targeted by by white racists, and of course, that still hap- that happened and it still happens today. But the, the case you're talking about comes from just this past year in St. Louis, and um, that indeed there is 
there's a bunch of graffiti that was left at the site of um, of some of these arsons, which matches, um, you know, some of the stated beliefs of this particular kind of fringe African American group, and so they've certainly come under suspicion. Um, so, you know, while I don't think that case has been solved yet, it does illustrate some of the really strange cases. I mean, there have been some real oddballs. Um, also last year, right here in Virginia, we had, um, where I'm from, uh, we had a, a case of a, a couple of guys being um, arrested. They had a plan to burn down um, churches, black churches and Jewish synagogues, and they were members of some strange um, Viking-esque pagan cult. Um, some sort of white supremacist uh, pagan group. Um, again, you know, it's, it, it gets you way out into the fringe of of, um, of, of belief systems. But, um, but some of these groups are out there, and I think that you know, once the sort of once the sort of crime of, of kind of a little bit like terrorism, once the crime has been established, other people start to copycat it. So I think the fact that church burnings got a lot of attention in the media in the late 90s and, you know, all of certainly up till today periodically almost encourages fringe groups to go out and do the same thing because they kind of know, hey, I can get some media attention by doing this. Yeah, the whole phenomenon of the copycat crime. Critics have called Aaron Evans' new book, He Comes in Fire, a fresh and brilliant recasting of the suspense novel and compelling and suspenseful, controlled, precise, and meticulously crafted prose. He Comes in Fire, releases in October from Atticus Books. Aaron, when we come back, I want to talk to you about your specific story in He Comes in Fire and also the craft of writing and how you do it day to day. Aaron R. Even is our guest on the Burke Allen Show. More right after this on the Blog Talk Radio Network. Over 14 million people witnessed his emotional story of survival and triumph on national television. I've been doing this now for so long, like ever since I was a kid. Millions more voted him their favorite in a landslide win. The winner is... And now, you can be a part of the experience live. Landau Eugene Murphy Jr. Landau Eugene Murphy Jr. Ain't that a kick in the head? You're America's Got Talent winner. I've got you. Landau Eugene Murphy Jr. Under my Live, live. Performing classics from the Great American Songbook and his Columbia Records debut CD, That's Life. That's Life. Landau Eugene Murphy Jr.'s That's Life Tour. The one concert event this year you absolutely can't miss. See Landau Eugene Murphy Jr. live in concert. Tour dates more at LandauMurphyJr.com. It's the Burke Allen Show on the Blog Talk Radio Network. Our number is 646-668-2634. As we crank open the skylight and let the sun shine in on this late August day and talk with author and uh, researcher Aaron R. Even, his new novel, He Comes in Fire, is from Atticus Books. The book releases in October. You can visit Aaron online and find out more at hecomesinfire.com. So, Aaron, this is a, a literary crime novel, which uh, in, the, in the best sense of the word is an old-fashioned 
page turner. It's the kind of book that you want to pick up and read, and and uh, folks just can't put it down. Tell me, if you would, sort of the elevator pitch. What is the specific story of these church burnings, and he comes in fire? Okay, great. Um, well, he comes in fire. It's set in the late 1990s, so it comes at it. Uh, it happens at the the height of the church uh, arson epidemic in the in the 1990s, and um, in the story, a, a kind of a strange man um, named Lucas Sneed has, has just come home um, to his hometown of Zion, Virginia. He's been away for about a year, and nobody really, even his sister, really doesn't know what he's been up to. And the same night that he comes back, a church burns down not far from his house uh, that he shares with his sister. It's the third arson in a month, and bells are starting to ring real loudly in the local area. Um, and so he falls under suspicion, um, but there's also an array of, of other sh- kind of shady characters who might have a hand in this. Um, and as the story develops, we, uh, we learn about where Lucas has been for the past year and what he's been doing um, with a kind of shady preacher named Jack Dixon. And we meet a whole other cast of characters who could potentially uh, have something to do with it and follow the uh, evolving uh, police and ATF investigation into the crime, it leads eventually in a direction that I don't think anybody uh, foresaw at the beginning. Sounds like a real Southern Gothic type story. When when you develop these sort of oddball, as you call them, characters like this drifter, Lucas Sneed, uh, the flawed preacher, Jack Dixon, do you, in your mind as a writer, do you visualize uh, a real life person, uh, or is it sort of a, a combination of several different folks that are out there? And, and how does that writing process work for you? Yeah, I can't, with with characters, it can be a little bit funny. Um, with 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 Lucas, main character, uh, he actually really was inspired by somebody I met once um, when I was tr- uh, I got a car towed um, and was waiting outside the car lot. Uh, for the, the tow man to return with his truck. And this guy kind of, this very odd-looking guy, kind of sidled up to me and offered to spring the car for me. He told me he used to work <laughs> for the CIA and he could get my car for me. And um, I, I told him, no thanks, I, I would wait for the tow man. And, uh, <laughs> and he kind of just went away. But something about him, something about the kind of kind of strange look of him, the kind of sneaky way he talked to me and stuff made me, this played, played around in my mind for a while. And then I ended up thinking about a character who looks like that to the rest of the world, you know, looks untrustworthy, looks sneaky, looks strange, but maybe on the inside is very different from that. So that was the kind of twist I gave it. So yeah, in Lucas's um, case, he really was born from just a very brief and odd encounter with a real person other times, as you say, you know, it's a bit of a pastiche, you know, taking a characteristic from one person or another or sometimes from other literary characters and, or films and kind of push, putting it all together in kind of a new way. And, and the book is set in a town called Zion, Virginia, which I guess would be in sort of the southwestern part of the state. Is there really a Zion, Virginia? I'm not familiar with that town. No, there isn't. It's, it's kind of an imaginary county that would be somewhere west of Charlottesville um, towards the mountains. Um, and it's, um, I just, you know, it was actually because this dates back to when I wrote my first novel. I just felt it was a little easier to create um, 
kind of a, a fictional county that was that was based heavily on the the real counties that are there. Um, and I've kind of kind of stayed there ever since. Uh, our author uh, is Aaron R. Even. He's spent hundreds of hours researching these church arsons that made huge national news back in the late 90s, but continue uh, very steadily up until this day. The book is He Comes in Fire, and it comes out in October from Atticus Books. You know, as, as we talk to different authors, Aaron, they have different uh, methodologies in terms of writing a book. And, uh, you know, the, the guys that do this for a living and, and write over and over again seem to have a process. And that process is generally something along the lines of, you know, I will sit in front of the computer until I can write 2,000 words, or I will sit in front of the computer until, uh, you know, I've been there for two hours, irregardless whether any words come or not. You know, they're very disciplined. And then there, there are a small number of, of authors and creative folks who very much will only be able to do this sort of work uh, when inspiration hits them, when they get a, a burst of creative energy and the juices start to flow. Where do you fall into that? And, and what was your process in actually getting this this crime thriller suspense novel finished? Yeah, I I probably fall somewhere in the middle. And, and I have to say it's certainly changed for me over the years. I mean, when I was younger, I was um, I was more like you, you were describing. Um, I had a very set – I was pretty disciplined and um, – I used to write, even if it was garbage, I wrote pretty much every day, at least, you know, for a couple of hours. And even when I was working, I wrote very, very steadily. I never really had a problem with that. But, you know, life changes when you have kids and <laughs> work of, uh, you know, a variety of jobs and, and things like that. So over the years, it, my process has definitely changed. I, I certainly don't do 2,000 words a day anymore. Um, but what I do find is, is as you said, when, um, when inspiration kind of takes over. And for me, it's more like, I don't even know if inspiration is the right word. It's, it's sort of like when something really starts to work, because I try things all the time, and when I feel I'm forcing it, I'll still make an effort. But, you know, it's when the thing itself grabs you and takes you and forces you to get up and, and work on it, um, that's when you know something's really starting to work in your mind and, and on, on the page. Um, so when that happens, I'll certainly, you know, kick it into gear and devote a lot more time to it. I guess what I would say is over the years I've, I've learned to be more, um, more judicious um, in my time use, um, and even though I don't probably write as much as I would like to, in, in fiction that is, um, I, make, I do better with the time that, I'm, that I actually have. Uh, it's all about becoming a grown-up, I guess. Uh, yeah. Aaron R. Even is, uh, is our uh, guest today, and his new book is He Comes in Fire. It's been a long time between books for you. Your first book, uh, Bloodroot, came out in the late 90s. It was an award winner um, released by the folks over at, at St. Martin's Press and Thomas Dunn Books. And then it, it took you a long time to get around to the second novel, and in between, as we talked about earlier in the conversation, you spent a lot of time in, in television, writing for the Discovery Channel and, and Nat Geo. Um, the publishing world has changed, changed a lot in the 15 plus years between books for you. When, when you look at where, uh, the, the publishing industry is now, you know, what, what are your thoughts uh, coming back into this thing? Yeah, you're right. It's it changed so much that, um, and I think it's, it's probably kind of bewildering for a lot of writers too. Um, I, you know, it was, 
I, I think that after the um, after the market meltdown in 2008, there was a lot of contraction, you know, in the industry, and uh, some publishers failed, um, some are left standing. There's um, a landscape right now where you know there's a few large publishers that dominate, and then there's a whole lot of smaller independent presses that are are really doing their their best to put out good uh, good work. But you know they have limited resources, and they um, they probably can't publish everybody they would like to. So, so I think for for authors right now, there are probably fewer opportunities um, with presses. But there also we've had the whole explosion in self-publishing, um, which I've even tried myself, um, and that can be really good too. Um, so there's more there's new platforms opening up all the time um, where you can you know, share your work, but the traditional platform of the, of the book publisher um, is a tough nut to crack still. Um, you know, and, and my real hope is that the smaller independent presses are where there's going to be growth and where we're going to start to see again, you know, some real interesting artistic differences between presses and, and putting out really good quality novels. You know, I've spoken to a couple of authors in the last few weeks who intentionally made their books much, much shorter uh, in terms of word count and page count, sort of in reaction to the way people consume information now with, you know, everything being in sort of that soundbite world and, and the short uh, social media post world. Yeah. Was that a factor for you whenever you wrote this book or – you know, did you just take it to its natural conclusion? And I asked that question because your book is not extraordinarily long. It clocks in, I think, at 230-ish pages. Um, so did did that brevity, was that a conscious effort for you because you realize the world has changed, or is it just kind of the way the story wrapped itself up? You know, it was a result of extensive revision. And I, I, working in television and specifically learning how to write scripts really – it really impacted me because I, my first draft of this novel, I remember, was a lot more meandering. Um, I think it, 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 it was longer. Um, it took a, just a longer time to get to the point. And working for, you know, for television really taught me to, you know, every scene needs to have its purpose, and it's got to get to it fairly quickly. And I tried to really take that kind of discipline that I've learned in, um, in the television script where you're confined to a certain length. You know, you have no choice. You have to fit it into your, to your hour show, whether you like it or not. I tried to just apply right. the same kind of discipline to the novel draft. So, so I know you're right that, you know, it's, it's, it's funny to, to think that I've worked on it for so many years, but really what the end result is is many, many revisions and cutting out the excess and cutting out the fat and getting down to, you know, really the, the essentials of the story. And um, actually, you know, for as long as it took and as frustrating as it could be sometimes, I'm very glad I went through that process because I think it really improved, the, you know, the novel. And, and as you said, it, it reads a quicker now. And, um, and I really like the result. Who would you visualize as sort of your ideal reader for this? Who would pick this up and go, wow, this is really interesting to me. This is something I want to sit down and I want to polish this thing off in the weekend. I think, you know, readers who want a good read but also want a little bit more, you know, you, 
you, you want to really get to the, to the bottom of some human mysteries as well as, you know, the central mystery of, of the church burning. But you want to do it and be entertained at the same time. That's the kind of reader I'm looking for. I really wanted to, to sort of walk this middle ground between a suspense and a literary novel. Um, and that, that kind of reader, that's the, that's, that's, the, that's the person I'm looking for. And I think there's a lot of them out there. I think there's a lot of people who, you know, certainly enjoy the kind of, you know, an airport read, you know, and, and a, a beach read, but, but really want a little bit more maybe in terms of what you get from characters and, and introspection and, and the, the big questions that are asked in, in the novel. And um, so I think this, this is a fun and entertaining read, but it also, you know, causes people to think a little bit about, you know, some of the issues in, in our society a little bit deeper. So that's the kind of ideal reader I see. It could be anybody from any age. And the book comes out in in October from Atticus. Will it be released as an ebook as well? Yeah. Um, that's a good question. I believe it will, um, but I'm actually come to think of it, I'm not 100 percent sure. So I, I would I would think that it it, it would. I'll I will check on that. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. If you want to find out more about the book, He Comes in Fire from Aaron R. Even, visit Aaron online at hecomesinfire.com. The book will be available at amazon.com, barnesandnoble.com, bookstores all over the country. It's a fascinating subject and a very unique subject for a book, and we wish you all the luck with it. Thank you so much for taking a few minutes to be on the program today and, and sharing your thoughts on uh, very interesting social phenomenon of these church fires. Appreciate you being with us. Thank you, Burke. Thanks for having me. You bet. In Washington, D.C., I'm Burke Allen. Thank you so much for listening. Now, go out and make it a great day. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.